Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. Hey, if you got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to continue in this series that I believe is so freeing and uh, so refreshing for us as we seek to walk with the Lord. We established in the first three chapters Um, As Paul kind of lays this out to the believers in Ephesus, it's all about identity. It's who we are in Christ. And if anything, when you study it uh, from an expository standpoint, you will sit there and you will ponder and you will go. It's almost like Paul is saying, hey, I want you to sit down. I want you to listen. And I want you to know who you are in Christ. First three chapters. Now, again, he bridges it right at the end of chapter three as we have it. By saying, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be all glory uh, forever and ever in Christ. Amen. And so that's the transition he's making. It's, it's who you are in Christ, and, and it's God's power now dwelling in you. It's going to give you the fuel to live life the way you should. Now, chapters 4 through 6. First three chapters is about identity. Four, five, and six is all about action. And when you study this, it's really emphasizing how we're to walk now as Christ followers, what our walk every day should be uh, about. So Ephesians chapter four, one through 16, he's going to talk about walking in unity. Then all of a sudden in 17 through 32, he talks about walking in purity. You get to chapter five, he opens that up by saying, I want you to walk in love. 7 through 14, I want you to walk in the light. Uh, 15 through 21, I want you to walk in wisdom. That's where he says, don't be drunk with wine, uh, but redeem the time. Walk wise before the Lord. All that stuff is mentioned in in, in chapter 5. And then you get to verse 21, if you will, and he's telling you how to walk righteous in relationship. Husband, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he lays that out. Chapter 6, talking about uh, fathers, do not provoke your kids to anger. I want you guys to uh, carry yourself in a righteous way. And relationship. And then you get all the way to chapter 6, verse 10, and the, the, the emphasis of wording shifts again. He goes from sitting and knowing to walking, then he shifts to standing. I want you to pull on the full armor of God so that you can stand firm against the enemy. So when you think about really living the life of a disciple, And God's called us to be disciples. He's called us to be about making uh, disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. If you think about that, the entire journey is about sitting before the Lord. It's about walking with the Lord. And it's about standing against the evil forces that we face. It's a beautiful thing when you study it. So uh, Ephesians 4, starting in verse number 1. Read along with me. Apostle Paul writes, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord... I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance to one another in love, being diligent, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All of this, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, walk in a way that glorify God. And then he says, there's one body. There's one spirit, just as you were also called to one hope of your calling. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father 
of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, I want to help you today, and I want to encourage you as we unpackage what I believe to be a pivotal text, again, as we get into this whole concept of walking with the Lord over these next chapters, okay? So again, Paul refers to himself, I am the prisoner of the Lord. It's the same language he used in chapter 3, verse 1. He's writing from prison. He's been uh, locked up house arrest for preaching the gospel. Nothing vile about Paul's life. The only reason he's incarcerated is because he's proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And he is convinced that he is right where God wants him to be. He's doing right what God wants him to do. And he goes, hey, I got to tell y'all, I am a prisoner of the Lord. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of man. I'm 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 I'm, I'm a servant. I'm locked in. I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And even though things are a little trippy right now where I'm at, I know I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. Now, now let me go back again to chapter 1, verse 3. And Paul would make this statement as a prisoner of the Lord, as the prisoner of the Lord. This is crucial, Ronnie. He makes this statement. He goes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all these spiritual blessings in the heavens in Christ. And again, for three chapters, he's now unpackaged, Blake, what it means to to have or to inherit these spiritual blessings. He goes, look at the inheritance, look at the grace, look at the love, look at the mercy, look at the redemption, look at the forgiveness, look at what God's done in your life. I'm praying your eyes would really see all that, that God's blessed you with in the heavenlies. You can now approach the throne of God with boldness. Oh man, I want you to know who you are. Chapter 4, we're shifting gears. Now, because of who you are, because of all that God has done for you, I want you to know what your responsibility is. I want you to know how to walk. Again, as I emphasized earlier, every time Paul gives a new teaching or a new instruction over these next chapters, it's going to be emphasized with walk, walk, walk walk. Okay. So the word walk, if you want to write this down, the word walk literally means just as you're doing life. It's the way you conduct yourself. It's just the way you live. It's the way you think. And, and, and it would be like this, as you're walking through your neighborhood, I went for a walk through my neighborhood yesterday. And as I'm walking through the neighborhood, I get to meet different people. And as I'm walking around, I get to talk to these different people, and, and, and I get to hear a little bit of, uh, of how they think. I get to hear what's important to them. I get to hear what kind of jobs they do and what kind of family uh, they have, whatever, right? And they get to hear the same about me. The emphasis that Paul is making here is as you walk, as you're doing life in your neighborhood, at school, at work, it's the way you think. It's the way you act. I want you to live in a way that glorifies God. I want who Christ is in you to reflect from your life wherever you go. That's the emphasis. So all of us every day have the opportunity to live out our faith in Christ. And, and I would write this down because when I study it and, and ponder it, I, I, I just made some bold uh, observations here. God cares how I live, period. I, I just write that down. God cares how I live, 
24-7, 365. God cares how I live no matter where I'm at. He cares. So it doesn't matter if people are watching you. God cares how you live. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're hiding and nobody can see you. God, God cares how you live. It doesn't matter if things are really pleasant and good. God cares how you live. It doesn't matter if the circumstances are brutal. God cares how I live. Even Paul would write in Philippians 1, no matter what happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. So here's where I would go. Knowing Jesus now and being filled with the Holy Spirit empowers us and fuels us to walk differently. We, we shouldn't walk like we used to. And even Paul has already covered that in Ephesians earlier where he says, we don't walk in the futility of our mind like we used to, like the Gentiles do. We've been redeemed. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us now. So the Holy Spirit gives us the fuel and power to walk differently. Again, who's he talking to? He's talking to brand new believers. Most of these people are brand new in their faith. And again, we've established that the culture there in Ephesus was much like the culture here in the United States, if you will. It was a very vile culture. They had a tendency to want to enjoy sin. There was all this materialism that they bought into. There was alcohol uh, abuse going on there. Uh, they had some untamed sexual practices. It was corrupt. It was carnal. These people have come to faith in Christ. They've come to faith in Christ. And Paul is like, no, 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 know who you are. Know whose you are. Know who you belong to. Hey, hey, God saved you. He's graced you. He's redeemed you. Don't walk like you used to. Walk like you belong to the Father. Be an imitator of the Lord. Now, watch the transition here. So he starts this chapter 4. He goes, I, 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 I urge you. This is a very powerful word. I was studying the word urge. Urgent. Urgency. It is a very strong emotional word. And it's almost like Paul is grabbing them by the shoulders, if you will, and it's like he's spiritually shaking them. Hey, 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 I want you to pay attention. I want you to take action. And so when you study this, Brian, this is a very deep emotional, uh, pain attached to it, heartfelt word that Paul is using. Some of the translations, even when you read back over into the Hebrew, there's similar words. It meant to breathe deeply. It meant like you were almost gasping for air. It's like when you get that phone call. And Kathy, when we walk into your house and you've gotten that knock on the door, my son's dead, and you're gasping for air and you can't hardly catch your breath. I'll never forget just the pain. And that's a similar word Paul is using here. I want you to get it. It's almost like he's trembling. He can't catch his breath. I urge you. It's the same word that's used to Peter when he preaches at Pentecost. When he says, I, I, I urge you. It's desperation. It's an emotional, heartfelt plea. I, I urge you, I urge you to repent. I urge you to receive Messiah Jesus. I, I, I urge you to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. 
I urge you, God loves you. Jesus is Messiah. You crucified him, but he loves you, and he wants a relationship. Do you understand? Even when Paul would write in Romans 12, I urge you in view of God's spiritually shaken. I want you to get it. I'm, I'm losing my breath. I'm heartfelt. This, this, this means something here. I, w- I want you to get it. I urge you. And I guarantee you, like even with my buddy Kevin this week, coaching at Monroe area, I get a text from him last Sunday afternoon where one of his players was in a brutal car wreck. And as the week started unfolding, I mean, Kevin was telling me the kid's in a coma and I mean, the car was brutal and he's still laid up in a hospital. But I guarantee you when Kevin walked back in on Monday and he stood before his coaches and that young football team he's got, I guarantee you he was urging them to get your life right. Make sure you're living your life right. Make sure you're honoring God. And Paul's not using this word as a mad word. He's using it saying, guys, I want you to get it. I want you to live it out. I want you to know who you belong to. I I urge you, life has changed. It's not going to be different now. I urge you, you're a new creation now. I urge you. Urgency, guys. Urgency. And then he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. I would circle that word called. I would highlight that word called. I want you to walk according to your calling. God's called you. And here's the kind of word that called or calling uh, is in this text. How many of y'all, and and if you're really over 18, 19, I mean, we we pretty much should probably all raise our hands. How many of y'all have ever been called to serve on a jury? Or how many of y'all been called to do jury duty, period, right? I got jury duty. And, and, and here's the thing. When you get that letter in the mail, it's a call. It's a summons. Here's the interesting thing. When you get it, they're not asking you if you would like to show up. They're not asking you whether or not you are going to show up. You've been called. You've been summoned to take part in the judicial process. Hey, hey, I got this summons. That's the word that Paul is using here. I urge you to walk according to the call that God has got on your life. You're called to be like Jesus. You're called to allow the Holy Spirit to infiltrate you. You're called. You're called to show up. You're called to participate. You're called to live it out. You're called to live a sanctified life. Come on. This, this, this is one of the strongest passages to me right out of the gate of how believers in the church are to be living life. Hey, God has called you to live in a God-honoring way. And then he goes on. Emphasis. I want you to walk in unity. I want you to be at peace with one another. I want you to love one another. Emphasis thread throughout this text. I want you to to love other people. And have you ever noticed that when we have conflict with someone else, we always assume like it's the other person's problem. And if the other person would really change and correct a few things, then maybe we could get along with each other. 
And we're all battling narcissism at all times. We really are. Well, the, the reason I've got conflict and there's a lack of peace is you. And that, 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 that's not where this text goes. Even Master Jesus would say, hey, hey, uh, why is it that you're so good and pointing out the speck in your friend's eye when you've got a whole stinking log stuck in your eye? That this that Paul is emphasizing as he writes, I want you to walk in unity. I want you to walk full of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I want you to realize that the only way this can happen, don't, 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 don't miss this. The only way that it can happen, Addy, is that you've got to be willing to look at your heart first. I would just go on and write that down. If I'm going to live out walking a life of unity before the Lord, and if I'm going to walk according to my call, Carolyn, I've got to look at my heart first. And he gives us seven like key ingredients and key uh, emphasized uh, words, if you will, in verses 2 and 3, and it's all heart attitude. Listen to what he says, with all humility and gentleness with patience. Show tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There, there's seven key words here. Now, if, if, if we could really allow the Holy Spirit to infiltrate us in these really took root. I, I promise you it would, it would change the way we do life in family and the way we do life in church and the way we do life in community, wherever. Do, do you know the word humility that he uses here means this? It means to esteem ourselves as small. I want you to walk humble. I want you to esteem yourself as small. I want you to see yourself as, as little, it's not about you. When you study it, even before Christianity and Jesus comes on the scene, this whole concept of humility, humility was not seen as a virtue. If anything, people that were labeled humble or labeled as people of humility, they were despised and seen as inferior. Jesus comes on the scene and goes, no, th this is like one of the highest virtues for a follower of Christ, Rick. Humility. And Jesus is the ultimate example. Jesus came and he taught humility. This word that's used here in Ephesians 4 is used one other time. It's used in Philippians 2, verse 3. And it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or selfishness. Do nothing out of vain conceit, but with humility. It's only used twice. Esteem yourself as little. You remember even how the Father was so creative in emphasizing this kind of language? Don't miss this. When Saul the antagonist, his name meant admired and respected and regarded, when he meets Christ and he meets the Lord and he has that Holy Spirit exchange in Acts 9 on the Damascus Road, God goes, I'm going to change your name from Saul, applauded request. I'm going to change your name to Paul, which means little. So little is writing saying, 
being little is important. Walking a life of humility is important. And Jesus modeled it. He created the worlds and all that we see, but yet he took on the form of a nothing, nobody, humble servant. He laid aside certain deistic privileges, and, and he could have called down angels and legions of angels from heaven during the temptation experience, but he, he, he presented himself as humble. He died a criminal's death. And so here, here would be my question. Hey, hey, I want you to, I'm merging you to walk in a manner whether you're recalling. Here's how you're going to do it with humility. Now, here's the question. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself deserving attention? Deserving notoriety? Deserving applause? Do you fish for it? Are you casting out lures hoping somebody will bite and go, yeah, man, they like me, they dig me, they need me, they think high of me? Or are you at a place where you don't care if anybody notices? You're okay with being little? You're okay with being esteemed as very small? If we all took the mindset, Brett, I'm just one small member of the body of Christ. I'm not the fourth member of the Trinity. God does not need me. And I want to walk humbly before the Lord. James would say, do you not realize God is so opposed to the proud that he gives grace to the humble? Hey, hey you, you want to see unity happen? Here's what he says. Walk with humility and walk with gentleness. The word gentleness is an interesting word. It really implies that strength is being restrained. It's power under control. It's very similar to the word that Jesus used in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about meekness, not weakness, but meekness is power under control. It's the portrait of a tamed animal, whether a tamed animal elephant or a tamed stallion. You look at this massive power and all of a sudden it's, it's controlled. It can be harnessed. And he goes, I want you to be gentle. Meaning God, God's given you some strength and some power and some uniqueness, but I want you to walk in a way where you've been tamed. And a, and a person that's gentle and a guy that is gentle has his passions controlled by the Holy Spirit. Are your passions controlled by the Holy Spirit? Jesus, God in flesh. They call Jesus the Lion of Judah. The Lion, which implied controlled ferociousness. And that's how God wants us to live. He wants us to live controlled. Even Jesus said, come, come, come and learn from me, for I am gentle, Matthew 11, and I am humble in heart. And these two virtues are incredible virtues, Rick, for every one of us to practice, to implement, to seek God's counsel on. Hey, hey, that is a very humble and gentle person. Then, then he uses this word, do it with patience. P patience, that, that's a crucial word. The word patience means slow to boil. It means to have a long fuse. It means 
That person's got a, an ability and a willingness to suffer for a long time. They're, they're willing to endure. And this word was actually used in regards to explosives of that day. It was like, look at that dynamite. That dynamite can destroy. But, but, but if it had a long fuse, it took it a while to get there before it would just disrupt everything. And that's what God has called us to do. Hey, I want you to honor Christ. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. I'm urging you, but do it with humility. Be, be, be little. Be small. Don't esteem yourself too high. Do it with gentleness. Allow whatever that power and passion inside to be really corralled and controlled. And then he goes, I, I want you to be patient. Hey, when people try to provoke you and people try to attack you and people try to push those buttons to get a reaction from you, do you have a short fuse or a long fuse? Are you quick to snap? Because all of us know people that are quick to blow up over anything and you go, that, that, that's not promoting unity and that's not promoting harmony and that's not going to help our marriage go too well and that's not going to help you in business and that's not going to help you in anywhere and I mean that's one of the things we look for how level-headed is that guy how can he handle pressure does he have a long fuse does he snap very quickly the fruit of the spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, these virtues, long fuse, slow to boil. You want to see a church flourish? If we could practice those three, what would happen? You want to see a marriage flourish? If we could practice those three, what would happen? Then he uses this word, Jesse, this is so crucial, showing tolerance for one another. And the word right there, showing tolerance, literally means to put up with one another's shortcomings, to, to make some room for somebody else's faults. This is a huge one right here. It's kind of the implied mindset that we have to have in parenting, right? I mean, you look and you go, I love my child. And Liz is like, well, yeah, I love my child. I gave birth to my child, and this is my baby right here. But as they start to grow, all of a sudden, some things our kids do are head scratchers. It's fatiguing. And, and because of love, we make room for them to grow. We create space for them to grow. Are they going to jack it up? Yes. Now, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that I ignore the shortcoming and failure, that would not be responsible parenting. It means I, I, I see what's happening, but I'm going to make some room and create some space for growth. And, and that's the implied right here. Hey, hey I, I really want you guys to get it. I want you to live out this faith, but it would be so healthy for you to tell yourself, I'm still in process. Man, my tassel hasn't been turned. I haven't graduated. I don't have it all figured out. But, but it would be important, like, Barb, I'm in process still. I know we've been married 30 years. I'll be 58 here soon. And I'm still jacked up in some areas. And God's still molding me and shaping me. And I know he's still working on you. I mean, if we showed tolerance and extended a little grace, 
man, let me tell you what you're good at. Let me tell you what I love so much. We've got to work on this. I've got room for grace for you. And all of us, we can have these conversations. Kenny, Anita, if we were sitting there talking, it was like, Kenny, you're older than I am. And it's like, you ain't got it figured out. No. And I know Alan's not even close. I mean, he's 77. That's not even, Lynn will tell me in a heartbeat what he needs to work. But no. But Dallas, Sandy, I mean, that's where we're at. It's like we look at that and it's like, would you please give people space to grow? You, you want unity? You, you want to experience some oneness in a marriage and a family and a church? And you can throw rocks. Oh, I can't believe you did that. I, I'm going to jack it up at times. He says, show intolerance. Make room for growth. That, that would be a great assignment. Here, here's another thing he says. And I want you to do it in love. The word is agape. I, I want that unconditional, no strings attached kind of love. I, 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 that's the kind of love that God has for me. That's the kind of love that put Jesus on the cross, agape. Hey, would you extend some grace and make some space for others to grow with agape? Unconditional, no strings attached. And, and agape is a funky kind of love because it's the ability to love the unlovable and it's the ability to continue to extend love to others who act like they hate you and don't like you and don't want to be around you. And you know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life when you're able to extend agape when you're being rejected. It's like, what happened? Oh, Jesus is doing a work in my life. Agape is the kind of love that keeps that marriage going when the honeymoon is over. Oh, it's still going. It, it, it. And if you read 1 Corinthians 13, all of those characteristics about love, you go, man, it, it does put up. It doesn't keep, it puts up with pretty much anything. It's not going to keep score. It, it, it really wants to believe and trust. Richard, it's so crucial. This text right here is money. I'm telling you it is. I, I want you to show tolerance toward others. I want you to be long-suffering with others in love. Now, remember, the only way this is going to work is you're going to have to stay little in this thing, and you got to let that passion and all this power inside of you it's got to be controlled okay and you got to have a long fuse it's not going to work you got a short fuse you better grow a fuse and then he goes I want you to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit some of the translations use the word eager and the word diligent or eager means I want you to make every effort you can I want you to have this focused ambition I want, you, I want you to be eager about this. And this is the word that um, the trainers of gladiators used before they released them and sent them into the Colosseum to fight for their life. I mean, there was only going to be two guys fighting and only one was going to come out alive. And this is the word he used right here. Be diligent. Be eager. Uh, I, I want you to do everything you can to keep yourself alive. That, that's the emphasis right here. Uh, don't, don't let up. Hey, don't die on me. Fight, fight, fight. And it implies you can't take a day off and a playoff and a second off if it's going to work. You can't. I want you to make every effort to, to maintain 
the unity of the Spirit. I want you to fight for it. Even when your political views want to divide you, I want you to know that the blood of Christ is stronger than a party affiliation. Would you fight for it? Would you, would you give the Holy Spirit room? But, but don't quit. Don't, don't quit. Even when your spouse, I'm quitting. No, no, I, God's told me to fight. I'm in covenant. He goes, I want you to be diligent. And then he says, I want you to protect that bond of peace. The peace of Christ, the shalom of Jesus I mean, peace begins with our relationship with the Lord, right? I mean, we've got peace with God that allows us to have peace with ourselves, that allows us to have peace with others. And the implied is you can't have peace with others if you don't have peace with God. And, and we can't do anything, really. We don't want to do anything that would hinder the peace of Christ from really being able to rule in our hearts. That's what Paul would write in Colossians 3, let the peace of Jesus referee and officiate your life 24-7. So the first step, first step in living this out is, is we have to check our own hearts. First step in living it out is allowing the Holy Spirit to do inventory and deep introspection in me. And, and, and if there's tension and conflict it's not that I point fingers at everybody else trying to tell them why they're jacked up and wrong. It's that I, I, I put the window down and quit looking at everybody else and I pick the mirror up and I go, show me my heart. And we got too many people doing life out of a window instead of mirror anyway. Now some people do too much out of the mirror. They're all into dig me an image and that's not working either. But I'm talking about from the heart. So it starts with us looking at our heart. And it just really is teed up to ask yourself the question, do you have any damaged relationships with other people right now? Uh, you can claim to be a follower of Jesus and in love with Jesus. and what, Do you have like some damaged relationships that are still damaged that you've contributed to? That, that would be important. Do you have a jacked up, damaged relationship, like even with your spouse, that you, you've caused a lot of the damage? Do you? I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and they were talking about their child, and she referenced her child and said, yeah, they caused about 95% of all the damage that went on there. I was like, I hear you. But God's called us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Do you have jacked up dysfunctional relationships, maybe with kids and siblings and others, people that you work with? I, I, would, I would tell you, maybe even with neighbors, with all humility. Come on, listen, listen. With all humility and with all gentle, gentleness, with patience, show tolerance for one another in love. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I like the way Eugene Peterson captured it. He said, you're all called to travel on the same road in the same direction. Make sure you stay together. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. 
Now, you want to talk about almost like an overkill with a oneness or unity style thought? Verses 4 through 6, Paul goes, hey, you realize there's one body? One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And this is so important, Carol, Steve, it's so important. There's one body. We're all members of the same body. I'm going to dive deeper into this thought process next week as we get into verses 7 through 16. But I'm telling you right now, when one part of the body is in dysfunction or is in hurt or is in rebellion, it can really jack up all other parts of the body. My neck doesn't turn, but I really believe, based on study, my neck, it's not a neck issue. It's all this lat and trap and everything else. And, and when I had my shoulder surgery, well, you're not going to pitch anymore. You might as well do something else. And I didn't rehab it properly and break up and do a lot of stuff. And I ended up putting stress on my back and on my lats. And, but that one piece rebelling, if you will, being hurt, not being rehabbed, ended up contributing to other injuries. Weak shoulder, that's the reason there was elbow surgeries and all this. But, but the same thing applies to the body of Christ. There, he, he says, do you realize there's one body? And, it, and if one member of the body is refusing to submit to the Lordship, Candace, and live out their uniqueness, he's going to talk about certain gifts next week as we get into it. Do you not realize that's going to hurt the whole? There's, there's only one body. And that's the reason we say that anybody that belongs to the body of Christ belongs to everybody that belongs to the body of Christ. We're all in this thing together. He goes, do you realize there's only one spirit? There's not like all these different spirits. When Jesus bowed his head and gave up the spirit, the Holy Spirit desires to dwell in the life of the redeemed. There, there's only one. He goes, there's only one hope. The, the, the hope is the resurrected Christ. That's what we're all placing and anchoring our hope on, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture, was buried and raised on the third day. What's your hope? That, that's, my, that's where my belief system kind of hinges. If there be no resurrection, then what separates Christianity from any other religion? And then he goes, there's only one Lord. That's the reason Jesus said, I, am, I really am the way. The truth and the life. No one else is coming to the Father except through me. There's only one. He goes, there's one faith. There's only one faith. What, what is the object of your faith? I mean, the one faith is the gospel narrative of Jesus. There's one. There's not many. There's, it's not pluralistic. He goes, there's there's one baptism. When you're baptized, you're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're baptized into the body of Christ, back tying it all together. There, there, there's, there's only one. There's only one God and Father of all. There, there's only one. That's the reason other religions say, well, we worship this. Well, there, there, there's only one true God. You, you can try to create others, but there's not. What's the emphasis? Hey, guys, here's the close. My encouragement is that we would take this to heart. As I sat here and pondered it, this is an incredible text to become very acquainted with. And it's like, all right, I urge you, please get this. It's the desperation cry. I want you to walk out who you are in Christ. This is your summons. You're called. God's called you to be this way. And if you really 
are going to walk with Jesus. Some of the things that will manifest. You can go over to Galatians 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But I promise you these right here. Hey, hey, you want to live it out? Humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, being slow to boil, showing love for others, right? Extending agape to others, making sure the shalom, peace of Jesus stays core. This is what we're fighting for. And if there's any time that the body of Christ needs to rally together and really be one body, it's now. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.